Today on Abounding Grace, we'll hear about a man who went through extreme difficulty, and Pastor Ed Taylor will relate it to the trials we experience. No matter how good things seem to be, no matter how much progress a person makes, we all face troubles. There's always a turning point in our lives. It could be as serious as leprosy, it could be serious in other areas, but there's always a but because we've all been touched by sin. The world and its fallen nature touches all of our lives. There's always a but. For some of you, there's many of them. Well, you turn to the left, there's one. Then you turn to the right, there's one. For Naaman, the but is leprosy. It's a skin disease. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, this is Abounding Grace. We'll be joined by Pastor Ed in a moment. He will be continuing our series in 2 Kings. Well, maybe like the man we'll be introduced to today, you are dealing with a sickness or a disease of some sort. Whether it's life-threatening, as it was for Naaman, or you describe it as painful and discouraging, I think you'll find hope and comfort on the other side of this lesson. Pastor Ed wants us to see that God is always working. 2 Kings chapter 5, and if you want to get ahead, uh, you can open also to Leviticus chapter 13. 2 Kings chapter 5 and Leviticus chapter 13, as we follow the ministry of Elisha, we come to an encounter with a Gentile army commander from Syria. Notice verse 1 of 2 Kings chapter 5. It says, Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. Then she said to her mistress, If only my master would with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel. Now it's interesting as we're introduced to Naaman, he is described as a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. And we have to ask the question, why? Well, he was a successful commander, notice, in verse 2. Uh, the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back this captive young girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. And even as a Gentile, according to verse 1, his victories came from the Lord. God was with him even in these battles. And on one of those raids, as it says in verse 2, they bring back a girl from Israel that becomes a servant in his home, serving his wife. Now, I don't want you to turn there, but if you're taking notes, you can jot it down because it's a neat little tidbit, a little Bible study tidbit that you'll find in the New Testament. When it comes to the ministry of Elijah, J-A-H, 29 times in the New Testament, Elijah's mentioned. 
But Elisha is only mentioned one time in the New Testament. It's in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is that, that great chapter where Jesus comes in. He comes into Capernaum or to Nazareth. Open, he goes into the synagogue, opens up the scroll, declares why he's come. It's right there in Isaiah. And then remember right after that, he begins to teach them. And he talks about God healing this Gentile. He refers to this particular instance in 2 Kings. And that's when they take him to the edge of the hill and they want to throw him over. And you, you can put these together, do some homework, maybe a devotional this week of just taking a stand for saying what's right and taking a stand no matter what it takes that you can go from being esteemed in the synagogue to being taken out to the edge of this high mountaintop, this high cliff to be thrown over to die. And that's found in Luke chapter 24. It's tied together with this section God healing a Gentile, which was outside the covenant, and it just ticked people off and stirred them up. Now, back in 2 Kings 5, this, in the home of Naaman, with all his status and power, he has everything that you would think you would want outwardly. He's got his career. He's got his victory. He's great. He's honorable in the sight of his master. He, it, you would say, if, in our context, that this is the guy living the American dream, man. He's got it all. Everything that a man could want esteem, power, money, everything that a man can want, and a very serious disease. He's very sick. This disease would inevitably lead to death, a painful, long, slow death. This mighty man, notice, as it says, as you walk through in that land of Naaman, I mean, in the home of Naaman, he was a mighty warrior, valor, there at the end of verse 1, a mighty man of valor. And then there's that word, but. Because there's always a but, isn't there? There's always a but. No matter how good things seem to be, no matter how much progress a person makes, we all face troubles. There's always a turning point in our lives. Could be as serious as leprosy, it could be serious in other areas, but there's always a but because we've all been touched by sin. The world and its fallen nature touches all of our lives. There's always a but. For some of you, there's many of them. Well, you turn to the left, there's one. Then you turn to the right, there's one. Then you look up and there's another. And you look down and to the left, I mean, all over there is this battle, this pressure, this difficulty, this circumstance, this trial, this tribulation. For Naaman, the but, is leprosy. It's a skin disease. It's a very serious disease. And in the Bible, it's often used as a picture and a type of sin. And I want to show that to you for those of you that haven't seen it before. Come back with me in Leviticus chapter 13 and let's see how leprosy in its progressive, destructive nature is a great picture and type of sin in the Bible. And I pray that we take it to heart and that we take heed, and that even tonight you might be encouraged that no matter where you're reading in the Bible, God has a word for you. For those of you that have skipped Leviticus, and for those of you that skip over the hard parts or what you perceive to be the hard parts of the Bible, God has a word for you. He doesn't want you to skip over things. Every word of God is powerful and true. Every word of God has been put there for a reason. And you wonder, why would in Leviticus 13 God spend so much time on this serious disease known as leprosy? Well, to show us a type of sin, how sin is so dangerous and destructive. 
And so there's a few things I want to write, I want to share with you. Number one, sin, like leprosy, is often deeper than the skin. Notice in verse 2 of Leviticus 13, when a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest and one of his sons of the priests, and the priest shall look at the sore on the skin of the body, and if the hair on the sore is turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of the body, it's a leprous sore, and the priest shall look at him and pronounce him unclean. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And friends, sin is not a surface problem. It is a deep-seated issue in our lives, especially ongoing sin, especially sin that we've been deceitful about, especially sin that we have allowed to take root and has become a bondage in our life. It's not just something surface. It needs to be taken seriously. It goes deep into a person, so deep that the Bible teaches that a man must be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. Deep. Number two, sin like leprosy spreads rapidly. Notice verse five. The priest shall look at him on the seventh day, and indeed if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. And the priest shall look at him again on the seventh day. And if indeed the sore is darkened and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's only a scab, and he'll wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scab should at all spread over the skin, after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing, he shall be seen by the priest again. And, verse 8, if the priest sees that the scab is indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's leprosy. Leprosy spreads Sin spreads. Notice verse 53 of Leviticus 13. Verse 53. But if the priest looks, and indeed the plague is not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, or anything made of leather, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which the plague, and he shall isolate it another seven days. The whole thing with leprosy was to watch if the disease spread. Now, today we don't refer to leprosy as leprosy. We refer to it by the doctor that has studied it, Hansen. Today it's known as Hansen disease. And it affects the skin and nerve endings. And as it spread, it produces these ulcerous nodules on the skin. One begins as one sore, gradually spreading and turns the whole body into corruption and ugliness. Hansen's disease is infectious, it's contagious, and it's dangerous, just like sin. The Bible says in James chapter 1, verse 15, when the desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin when it's full grown, or another way of saying that, sin when it has fully spread, what does it do? But it gives birth, it brings forth death, James chapter 1 verse 5. Number three, sin like leprosy defiles a person. You'll see that in chapter 13 verses 44 through 46. It defiles a person. Sin so quickly turns a person into a morally unclean human. To all of us. It may not turn up for a while, but it will, and when it does, great defile, and it defiles the people next to you, the people that are close to you, and it can't be hidden. It can't be hidden. The Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. 
It's not God chasing after you because God has full knowledge of our lives. The Bible says that our lives are open and naked before the one who sees us. It's not that God is chasing out to reveal that sin. Your sin itself will will show itself. Your sin in our lives just appears. And there's no such thing as hidden sin. Nothing's hidden before God. And neither could be leprosy. Leprosy could not be hidden. Number four, sin like leprosy isolates a person. Sin isolates a person. Notice in verse 46 of Leviticus 13, he shall be unclean, and all the days he has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Leprosy causes a person to be outside the camp, just like sin does. There are many empty chairs among us in our Bible studies because sin has isolated a person. But it's not just the people that aren't here. It's the people that are here and are isolated because of their sin. The people that will show up in a gathering, but each time they show up for a gathering and they don't repent of their sins, their heart gets harder. And so it's possible you'd be sitting in a congregation filled with people. Some are in tune to the Holy Spirit and some hearts are getting harder. Why? Because of sin. It is not going to resolve itself. If you let it go, it's going to cause even more damage. The Bible speaks of those that are walking in sin like walking dead. A person becomes like a spiritual zombie. Or even as a church where they have a name that they're alive, but inside they're filled with dead man's bones. You can reference Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 on that. Number five, sin like leprosy there is, real, there is no real cure through man. They still haven't found a cure for leprosy to this day. Man is unable to cure it. You can delay it, and you can stop it from spreading, but you can't cure it. There is no cure for sin. You might be able in some way to bring some self-help into your life. You might be able to get some therapy to get you through a few things, but there's no cure apart from Jesus Christ and the blood that was shed for you. That's the only cure for sin. Everything else is just a a few delays of the inevitable. Only God, through the power of the cross, can solve the sin issue in a person's life once and for all. There is no other alternative. And as we come back to this young, this man, this leader, Naaman, in 2 Kings, He's in a bad place, in a desperate place. He has everything that you would think a person would want, but he's got a deadly disease that isn't going to stop, that that will defile him. And 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 left alone and untreated, uncared for, and not healed in some supernatural way, he's going to die a slow, painful death. And notice it's this girl that is taken captive, brought back into his home, that is the one speaking Words of faith. Hey, he should be with the prophet in Samaria. There's help and there's hope. It's amazing for this little girl because what would happen, what you could say happened is that she was kidnapped and taken as spoils of war. Taken out of her land. And here she is. She had the choice to be upset. She could be mad. She could choose to be bitter her whole life and angry and serve with a grudge and a chip on her shoulder. 
But, but in the home that she had, in demonstrating her faith in the living God, no matter what has happened to her, no matter how she's been treated, she speaks words of faith to the very leader of the army that took her captive to begin with. I mean, that's some tremendous, that's a tremendous presence of God in a person's life. And instead of choosing to be bitter and upset, she chose to be a blessing. She chose to serve others. And she speaks up, it says, she tells her mistress, hey, it would be better if she, he was with the prophet in Samaria, notice, for he would heal him of his leprosy. What great faith. So Naaman, he goes in and tells his boss, notice verse 5, so the king of Syria said, mark these words, go now. Mark those words. We'll get back to them in a moment. This king of Syria said, go now, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And so he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing, all very valuable things. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel and said, now be advised, when this letter comes to you, that I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy, verse 7. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore, please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me. Now, when the king of Syria hears hope for his servant, the possibility of healing, his response is awesome. It's those words I ask you to mark, go now. And the way it's written, it seems immediate. He hears hope for his servant, the valuable man that has served him. And, and he says, there, there, if I just go to Israel, if I can go to Samaria, there's a guy there that can take care of this whole disease. And I just believe that phrase, go now, or maybe you want to write next to it, yes, is a great phrase to have in ministry. To learn to say yes to God and yes to others that want to step out and serve God in these last days. It's a wonderful attitude to have. This unbelieving king wants to see what God will do. So does the girl. So the girl wants to see what God wants to do. The unbelieving king wants to see what God wants to do. And then, of course, we read the king of Israel. Oh, this can't be from God. He wants to start a war with me. And, of course, we know how corrupt the kings were. We know what, what a corrupt time of leadership there is. But I, I choose to focus on the ones that are filled with faith. I just learned over the years... That, that to be surrounded by people that don't have a lot of faith really bums me out. I don't work well in that environment. I work so much better in my life and how God has made me to be surrounded by people of faith. Uh, not, not those that just want to complain and those that just want to find everything wrong and those that just, just want to, to throw a wet blanket on everything. That, that doesn't help me personally very much. But the people that want to step out on faith, the people that want to try something, the people who have some crazy idea, I'm just like, yeah, why don't we, let's, let's do it. Let's try. And, and let's see what God might want to do. And sometimes it takes a few times to move me, but that faith moves me and it inspires me. And it's something that, that, I, that we've learned through the ministry here uh, in this fellowship family of Calvary Chapel. Like God has given us such a great heritage of so many of the men that have come before us. And, and the particular stream of ministry that this church is born from, it starts obviously with God 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, apprehending a man by the name of Chuck Smith, and then Chuck Smith teaching my pastor, Jeff Johnson, and I'm walking into that, that ministry, and God's teaching me for many years through my pastor, Jeff, and then moving here. The stream of ministry is just very strong of faith and stepping out in faith. And something Pastor Chuck wrote in his memoir uh, that, that was just so encouraging. Uh, they, they read, they, he got together and wrote a book just before uh, he passed away, just a few years before he passed away. And in the last chapter, it might be the last two chapters, he just starts giving these exhortations, things that he's learned in the ministry, things that if he had a chance to do it over again, he would do it over again. Let me read to you what he writes as he encourages us that oversee ministry, that are leaders spiritually, and I quote, I never considered launching an international ministry and wouldn't have known where to begin even if the thought had occurred to me. This is coming from a man through his leadership over 16, 1,700 churches were birthed, even through some church splits along the way, other movements were birthed, and international ministries are still ongoing to this day. So, so he's talking about, you know, I never wanted to launch an international ministry. As a matter of fact, if you talk to Pastor Chuck, especially toward the latter years in ministry, as the movement, family movement of Calvary Chapel got larger and more ministries were happening and all, if you asked him, and, and he was interviewed a few times and said this, he would say, I never wanted to start a movement. I just wanted to pastor a little church in Costa Mesa, and I was expecting to pastor a church of 300 people. That would have been fine with me. I would have been very satisfied with a small fellowship family. And even at the end of his church of multi-thousands of people in Costa Mesa, he would say, you know, I don't want to oversee a movement. I just want to pastor a church. That was his heart. That's where he was. So they're talking to him about this vast movement. And you say, well, Pastor Chuck, tell us about it. And he says, I never wanted that. He says, I, he says, and I quote, I never recruited anyone for missions work, never outlined a plan for overseas church planting, never developed a philosophy for international ministry. And here's the key that I want to share with you. If I did anything at all to encourage the people who have gone out from Calvary Chapel into all the world to preach the gospel, it was this. I never told them, no, you can't take the gospel to other cultures. You're not qualified or funded, so it won't work. As he looks back on his ministry, he says, you know, I just never told people no. I said, go do it as unto the Lord. <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. May the Lord bless you and encourage you. And, and even as that was handed down to us and my pastor, I remember it like it was yesterday making the appointment with Pastor Jeff, going into his office, super nervous, because I hadn't met with him many times uh, during the time that I was there. So it was a third or second or third time we met. And, and I was so filled with faith and so excited. Pastor, you know, I think it's time for us to go out and plant a church. And he says, oh, really? Where are you going to go? And I said, we said, we're going to go to Colorado. He goes, oh, man, that's far. And I said, yeah, I think that's what the Lord's doing. And, and, uh, and, and we just wanted to get your blessing. You know, I just wanted to get your blessing. I, you're my pastor. And he says, well, God bless you guys. Tell me how it goes. And I've had the privilege now for 18 years to tell him how it's gone, what the Lord has done. And you know, he could have said no. He could have said, you're a knucklehead. Uh, you haven't served for long enough here. You're not even on staff here. I don't really even know you that well. But his heart was in tune with the Lord. And he said, God bless you. Tell me how it goes when you get there. 
Pastor Ed Taylor recalling when the Lord called him out to be a pastor and how his pastor at that time was a real encouragement. This is Abounding Grace, and we're in the middle of a study in 2 Kings. If you joined us late or would just like to hear this message again, turn to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or you can listen through our app, too. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. And look for Abounding Grace wherever you get your podcasts. If you take a brief moment to write or call, that would make our day today. Let us know the station you're listening to and if today's study was a blessing to your life. We'd also love to pray for you. You can email us through our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Abounding Grace is made possible through the support of our listeners. And when you give a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace, you're invited to request a copy of Christopher Yuan's book, Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. This book will help you better understand sexuality in light of God's grand story and come to realize that holy sexuality is actually good news for all. So call right now, 877-30-GRACE, or order it online at calvaryco.store. Your generosity helps us provide the teaching of God's Word on stations all across the nation. We're constantly hearing from listeners that have been helped and are growing by God's abounding grace. Thank you for standing with us. Call 877-30-GRACE or make a donation at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And then be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time for more teaching from Second Kings. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.